Good morning, everybody. Let's go to 1 John 2, please. 1 John 2. We're going to finish what we started last Sunday. 1 John 2. And we're going to be in verses 1 and 1 and 2 today. And by way of introduction, let me just remind you what we said last Sunday from 1 John 1, 9 and 10. Um, really, the, the primary point that I was trying to make last Sunday was that authentic Christian living is an honest, ongoing acknowledgement of our sin before a forgiving God. That's what authentic Christian living is. So the, the point of going before God with confession of our sin is not to inform God about who we are and what we've done, but it is to experience who God is and what He's done. Super important. That's, that's what 1 John 1, 9 and 10 is, is teaching us over and over and over again. It's not to, to go in and tell God, this is who I am and this is all the stuff I've done. It's, it's to experience who He is and what He has done on your, on your behalf. So if, because that's true, we're not going to go into a time of confession in order to get something that we don't yet already have, but we're going to experience God. We're going to experience what is already true, what we already possess as Christians, right? So there's just zero chance that if you go into a time of confession that you're going to come out owing a debt. It's just not going to happen um, because it's been paid. It's been paid. If you go in there, you get forgiveness, you get cleansing. It's, it's absolutely positively true. But if we don't live that life, then we end up lying to ourselves, we end up lying to the world about who God is. And if we do live that life, what happens is we become empowered to sin less. It's the great irony of the gospel, one of many, that a life of confession of sin empowers a more obedient life. More obedience begins with more confession of a lack of obedience, okay? Super important. And if you enter into that cycle, you're, you're immediately asking yourself the question, but I keep sinning, Rob. <laughs> like, I'm not going to tell you all about it, but I do. Like, I, I, I keep sinning. So what do we do when that happens? What do we do when we enter into a life of confession, we, we do so trusting the gospel and therefore lead, lead to a life that's more obedient, but yet we still sin. What do we do in that, in that moment? And the, the, the answer is we tell ourselves over and over again how forgiveness works. That's what we do, which takes us to our passage today. So stand with me very quickly. We're going to read 1 John 2, 1 and 2 together. <clears throat> My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. So we have, to, we have to tell ourselves over and over again how forgiveness works. And if, if, you, if, you, um, 
if in a word, so last week I was trying to, I was trying to just very, very succinctly describe, you know, like how, how the, how this works. So if in a word, if you, if you wanted to address the, answer the question, like how does forgiveness work? In a word, the answer is Jesus. <laughs> I was, um, when I was 19 years old, I was uh, doing a camp in the summer called Cross Point Christian Sports Camps. It was a camp by Lifeway, like Centrifuge or those kinds of things. And I was traveling with a group of 20 college students, and we were on seven different college campuses over nine weeks. So we were picking up camp, putting it into a budget truck. Kentucky went down to St. Petersburg, Florida, and ended in Maryland. Like it was all over the south, all over the east coast, right? And uh, I was 19, I was, I was 22 at the time, and on our team, I was the worship leader. Weston, if you can imagine the terror of me playing guitar and leading worship. And there, our camp pastor was a little-known 19-year-old by the name of David Platt. Isn't that crazy? And uh, so he like, this is my friend for 12 weeks. I never saw him again because he was instantly famous um, right, out of, right out of University of Georgia. But, um, I rem- but every time we would, we would travel, we would you know, meet it with some local church after we unpacked camp. And inevitably, one of the pastors of these churches would be like, hey, David, would, do you want to preach for us this Sunday? Because like, pastors like breaks in the summer, I think. And, um, and one, one guy, we had, we had you know, lunch with this church that was hosting us, and they were so gracious, and the pastor was so nice. And he said, you know, David, man, would you, would you preach for us? And David would, would always say, he would say, well, I would love to. What, what, what do you want me to preach on? And this guy just looked at him and goes, Jesus. Like, <laughs> Because what else is there, right? I mean, he, he wasn't being just simplistic. He was being beautiful and truthful and complex. That's the answer to the question. How does forgiveness work? You can just look at somebody and say, well, well, Jesus. So what do you mean? Like unpack how Jesus makes forgiveness work. That's what this passage does. It takes the, the simplest of answers, Jesus, which is completely true, and it unpacks for us In very succinct language, how forgiveness works. And this is what you've got to tell yourself when sin happens. Because it, and I'll come to to why if you don't in just a minute, okay? But this is what you've got to tell yourself when sin happens. What do you tell yourself about Jesus? Number one, tell yourself that Jesus is your advocate. Jesus is your advocate. Look at the verse. 1 John 2, 1, if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate. You have someone who speaks on your defense. He speaks in your defense on your behalf. This word, underline it, it's a legal term. And it has a passive sense. Not active, it has a passive sense. It means one called alongside of. It's, it's a word that describes anybody who is called upon to help somebody else, specifically in a court of law, right? It's a legal, it's a thing is that Jesus is the one who is called in to help you and to help me in the court of law before the Father, the righteous judge. After the incarnation, After living a perfect life, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after the ascension, and for all time thereafter, Jesus the Son is with the Father. 
right now, into all eternity, he is with the Father advocating on behalf of the people for whom he lived and died. Jesus' work on your behalf and on my behalf did not stop after he lived, did not stop after he was crucified, did not stop after he was resurrected, did not stop when he ascended. He is now there into eternity constantly advocating, stepping in for your defense before the Father. Now, the words I'm about to say have never been said to me personally, but I have heard them on television all the time because I used to be really enmeshed in police shows and investigative mysteries. And these words are Miranda writes. Come to the baptism service tonight because I want to hear all about it. Okay, I want to hear all about that story. But you know Miranda writes. You have the right to remain silent. I'm not reading them to you. I'm making sure you understand them, right? Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law, you have the right to an attorney. And if you cannot afford an attorney, apparently they cost money, one will be appointed for you. Miranda writes. Now, why do we do that? So if you should get in trouble with the law and you get arrested, you have the right, in our court system, you have the right for an advocate, someone to speak for you on your defense. In fact, they will give you one if you can't pay for your own. And one of the reasons they give you one is because of this statement in the Miranda rights. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. What does that statement mean? It means that when you go to court, you will be judged according to your merits part of which is what you say, part of which is what the evidence they have on what you've done or have already said, but you're going to be judged on your merits and therefore your advocate, your lawyer, your attorney, your helper is going to present your case based on the merits of the actual case. But that's not what's going to happen in the courtroom of heaven. Jesus... Our advocate does not plead our case based on our merits. He pleads the case based on his merits, which is an act of grace. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, the great high priest whose name is love, whoever pleads and lives and pleads for me. He's an advocate. Not He pleads the case on our behalf, based on His. And He comes alongside of us in that respect. But He's not just an advocate. Don't just tell yourself that Jesus is an advocate. Tell yourself that Jesus is a righteous advocate. If anyone does sin, says John, we have an advocate with the Father, and he, then He puts an M dash. We put that... Jesus Christ is his name, by the way, the righteous one. And in this context, John is describing the character of your advocate. Jesus' character is a righteous character. That is the thing that is guiding his advocacy, his righteousness. A righteous lawyer. Do you, do you know any good lawyer jokes? Does anybody know any good lawyer jokes? Raise your hand if you know a good lawyer. I'm not asking you to tell it. That's okay. There are actually only three lawyer jokes. 
the, the rest are all true stories, 100%. They're all true stories, right? No. There are, you know, what, do you know the difference between a good lawyer and a bad lawyer? A righteous lawyer and an unrighteous one. You know the difference, right? So uh, an, an unrighteous lawyer will drag a case out for years, and a righteous lawyer will drag it out even longer, right? <laughs> that's a good, that's a bad lawyer joke. Okay. Oh, now it settles in. Okay, good, good, good. So they have a, lawyers have a reputation for being maybe not all that just, maybe not all that righteous. And that's completely unfair for, for many, many, but lawyer jokes exist for a reason. Uh, because there have been some that deserve, and they speak some truth about a few, right? Some lawyers may use technicalities to escape the law. Um, I heard one guy say that when you do something criminal and you get in trouble for it, you don't need a criminal attorney. You need a criminal attorney, right? So that's not who's faithful to our call in a righteous fashion. He is faithful to our cause and he presents the case faithfully and with perfection. He is a righteous advocate. His character is righteous, it is good, and he does it accordingly. So tell yourself that you have an advocate. Tell yourself that you have a righteous advocate who is faithful and true and is just. And then third, tell yourself that this advocate has paid the price. Look what John says. John calls Jesus not just our advocate, not just a righteous advocate. He calls him the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for those of the world. So what, what does this mean? This is very Jewish language. It's language that we've looked at before from Hebrews 10 together. So remind, remember, this is important, remember this. For thousands of years, Jews practiced this ritual that you can go back and look at in Leviticus 16, right? And they would offer these bulls and goats as a sin offering, right? This was a practice that would have been familiar to any Jew in part because other pagan people during that time, they did something similar. They did something similar, not the same, but similar. They would offer up their own animals to placate this angry God that they made up and they worshiped. But the Jewish version of this was, it was different. It was similar, but it was different in a very important way. In this, the substitute was not offered by human beings hoping to appease this volatile and angry God. It was the opposite. If you go back and look at Leviticus 16, go back and read Hebrews 10, the substitute is provided by God. And and therefore, because God is the one providing the sacrifices, He is showing His people how much He wants to stay and will be staying in a covenant relationship with them. It is not them bringing something of theirs to placate the angry deity. It is God providing something to show and demonstrate His love for His covenant people. So with all that in mind, you can see how that actually points ultimately to Jesus, right? Because none of those animal sacrifices, none of those atoning sacrifices were actually paying the debt for the sin. All of it was a symbolic ritual pointing to a moment in history 
in which God would provide the priest, God would provide the sacrifice, and God himself would sacrifice the son of his blood on this judgment seat. He, that is where, that is where the debt would actually be paid. Atoned is the word in the text for. So John says here, that confession works, forgiveness works because Jesus is our advocate, he is our righteous advocate because he is the one who actually paid the debt on our behalf. You see what Jesus is doing? He, as our advocate, is not up there pleading our case based on our merits. He is up there pleading the case based on his merits and is also paying the debt for us on our behalf. That is how forgiveness works. Charles Wesley wrote the hymn, Arise, my soul, arise, shake off your guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice on your behalf appears. That's amazing. That is amazing. And if you look at the rest of verse 2, look at it. It says, He Himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also those of the whole world. In other words, this is not just true for Jews who believe. It is true for the Gentiles as well. Not just one people group, but for all of them. All of them. So Jesus fulfilled the pattern set by the Old Testament sacrifice, but He did so in such a way that Gentiles as well as Jews can all be saved through faith. That means you. That means me. That means everyone being baptized tonight. That means all who come. Regardless of your people group or your nationality. So let me make this really, I'm trying to make this really practical. Tell yourself that Jesus is an advocate, the righteous advocate who has paid the debt. That's how forgiveness works, gang. That's how you can always be in right standing with God because He has paid the price once and for all and is constantly, eternally advocating on your behalf. Therefore, you don't have to be hesitant or ashamed or, um, or anything like that or ridden with guilt and therefore afraid to come before the Father because you've got the perfect lawyer who's already paid the price. It's incredible. So I like I'm I'm a planner, like by nature. Like one of the things I really enjoy doing is putting like nine to eighteen months of calendars on the wall and just calendaring out life for not for an organization or an operation. Um, when at, at Lifeway, I mean it's it's embarrassing how how far out in advance. I've got things just laid out, right? And because I have this personality that makes me like organized and intentional and strategic, you know, whatever whatever that means, planning, processing, operations, execution, blah, 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 blah. I also have this mindset like, but what if it doesn't go right? What if something doesn't go well? Which Which is to say, I can find so many reasons to get worried, so many reasons to get anxious, so many reasons to fret about what about this and what about that. We're trying to go on vacation next week. I've driven my wife crazy, obsessing about all the things that could go wrong. 
on this vacation. I, she may not want to go with me anymore. Like, it's, it's, it's bad. So, so we, I'm just, I'm of that person. If you're of that personality, maybe you're like me and you bring that to your relationships. Like, did I, did I hurt that person's feelings? Did I, I mean, what could I have done differently? What could I have said a little bit differently to fix that? I mean, is there anything I can do to fix that? I mean, how can I avoid doing that again? I don't want to do that again. To, you know, and you know, what do they think? What do they think? What do they think? You're, there's some vanity. And, and then you also, that carries right over into your relationship with the Lord. And you, and you fret about the level of acceptance or appreciation or how God may or may not be pleased with you based on how well you've done this, that, or the other. And can I just say that what you need to tell yourself in that moment is that Jesus has this. He's got it. He's got you. And that also applies to all the things, all the work, all the planning, all the vacations, all the relationships. Tell yourself that you have an advocate before the Father, a good, righteous advocate who has paid the debt. And that, living that before God will transform your relationships and it will transform the way that you go about doing your life in such a way that you will rest and trust in the sovereignty and providence of a good God who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the Lord. That's a good word. Let's, let's rest in that and pray together. Lord, thank you for it. And we, are, we want to be a confessional people who embrace the truth of the gospel over and over and over and over again. So, Lord, keep us, keep us in it. When we, when we fret, when we worry, when we stress, when we wrap ourselves in guilt, help us to remember our advocate and claim the truth of his work for us. And let that impact the way that we relate, the fact that we operate. Just make us, soak us in the gospel. Just immerse us in it and be transformed by it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.